again, my gorgeous listeners, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Glow West podcast, where we chat about sex, sexuality, and the body. I'm your host, Dr. Caroline West, and as always, I'm delighted to be a part of the Tortoise Shack Network, where you can find all sorts of podcasts on politics, culture, society, and of course, my favorite topic, sex. If you like what we do, please do consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash tortoise as it really does help to keep the mics on or please pop over to Apple and rate and review. So today I'm talking about something that some people might be a little bit embarrassed about or some people might love going to visit them and that is the topic of sex shops. My guest today is another Irish person, my first Nordy on the show, so that's kind of, that's awesome. Uh, Dr. Paul J. McGinn is an urban geographer and planner at the University of Western Australia. He's a sexademic whose research on sexuality focuses on the geography and regulation of the sex industry, porn tourism, and the geography of online porn consumption. He's written about male sex work and sectarianism in Ireland and adult retailing in Northern Ireland and Australia. His co-edited book, which is Suburban Sexcapes, won the Planning Institute of Australia's National Award for Cutting Edge Research in 2015. And he's West Belfast, born and raised. He's very exotic over in Australia these days. And he's just recently completed four years as a board member of Sexual Health Quarters, which is Western Australia's leading provider of sexual health services. Paul, thanks, Emil, for joining me. How are you keeping? Uh, very good, Caroline. It's um, it's good to make the connection back across to the uh, to the Emerald Isle. Definitely, yeah. And I know, like West Belfast is, you know, it's its own unique little place. And you've you've emigrated over to Oz at the moment, but it's nice to bring you back home for a little bit, anyway, for an hour at least. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's um, uh, it's two years since we last met. Um, when I was last back uh, uh, in Belfast and in Dublin, and we were in Dublin together for the Laura Lee annual Sex Worker Rights Lecture, so it's um it's very good to make the connection again. Yeah, absolutely. We're a small little community of sex researchers, so it's nice to nice to get there. Well, tell me again, you know, sex in Belfast and, and the north of Ireland can be. A little bit complex it can be maybe a very conservative area some might say but you've looked into you know sex retailing up up in the north so how does that work and is that is it as conservative as we might think it might be um well it's conservative in the sense that um policy so councillors uh, in particular uh are, are the responsible regulatory authority on um controlling um, adult stores, sex shops, whatever you want to call them. I call them sex shops. Um, when, I'm, when I'm referring to them in Belfast, when I'm in the US, I refer to them as adult stores or novelty stores. Um, there, there's a real interesting paradox actually in Belfast um, with, uh, with adult shops. So they're illegal. However, there are about probably, I think it's down to about four stores now. Uh, when I was on the last time, I think it was about four. Uh, but there are four stores which have existed uh, in uh, Belfast CBD and in one street, uh, which is called Gresham Street. Uh, and those sex shops have been there now coming up on 30 years, basically. So oh, wow. um, it's really, really interesting, really interesting that they're not they're not permitted 
but they're still there. Yeah, it's a weird kind of like they're tolerated and everyone knows what goes on, but maybe no one wants to be the politician to bring it up, maybe? Uh, no, it, they, they've been at the forefront of media um, uh, reporting. They've been uh, been at the centre of um, council debate in Belfast City Council over time, uh, particularly in the 1980s um, and in the 1990s. Uh, there actually was one store over um, opened up in East Belfast back in the 1980s, uh, which didn't stay open for very long because it was protested. Uh, there were protesters from basically Democratic Unionist Party and other uh, religious organisations, basically conservative, socially conservative religious people who campaigned outside the store um, and it closed, I think, probably within about six months or so, 12 months at most of, of opening, basically. Uh, but the ones in Gresham Street are... Uh, speaking as a geographer for a moment, they're in what I what we would probably call a like a zone of transition. So it's a it's like a liminal space within the city. It's caught between um, Castle Court, which is the uh, the big shopping centre in downtown Belfast, and then it's kind of uh, this kind of working class industrial area, and this this street's wedged in between those two things. So it's it's like forgotten it's um it's derelict looking it's got tattoo parlors uh it's got bedding shops it's got a couple of catholic shops who sell first communion and confirmation it's got school uniform it's had school uniform shops and it used to have a gay bar yeah that's quite the mix of uh societal activities i suppose well and I think this is interesting because that you know about kind of you know what we call liminal spaces when they're um, in their physical sense is that um, they're cheap normally cheap rents they're um, so different uh, types of business businesses will establish there because primarily because of that uh, because of that reason basically um, and I think you do get little agglomeration effects going on with other you know for want of a, a better word, kind of vice type businesses. So, you know, tattoo parlors or tattoo studios uh, are seen as a vice, similarly with betting shops, you know, gambling is a vice. So these things invariably um, congregate together. But what's really interesting about the stores in Belfast, uh, the sex shops in Belfast was, uh, they've always sold hardcore pornography. So um, it's not just simply about selling sex toys they've always sold uh porn that's interesting because i thought that there would be more of an outrage at that so to speak i know you know when ann summers opened up in ireland there was massive outrage and and they they received bullets in the post which is kind of wild to think that that's not that long ago really but they have a reputation for kind of like hiding the, the stuff at the back of the store. Like it's primarily a lingerie store with a little bit of spice kind of hidden away at the back. And I'm not sure if they sell porn anymore, but they might have sold very lighthearted kind of, you know, it's not as hardcore as what you might get in other stores. But to see to hear about something like that in Belfast, I'm a little bit surprised because I thought that would be too far, you know, that, that, that kind of yeah. to have the hardcore element mixed in. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, I mean, they do say they they obviously sell sex toys and things like this, and they do sell laundry and um, uh, 
uh, one store that I know, uh, which is still there, I think, uh, their video department's upstairs. And it's quite a, you know, it's the whole first floor, so they sell quite a lot of um, pornography. But they've been there, I mean, I can remember as a, as a teenager in Belfast, which is, when I think back about it now, it's quite a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, they, they shops were, you know, kind of famous, infamous, uh for what for what they sold uh but the porn's kind of um you know it still is hidden the way you've suggested you know with uh with Anne Summers um and in some of the work that we that I've done with a colleague of mine and when we looked at um adult shops I mean that notion of um we have this kind of category of adult stores and the ones in Gresham Street fit in into the classic you know stereotypical seedy and sleazy um i'm doing air quotes here not that anybody can see that on audio but i'm doing air quotes of seedy and sleazy um and then you go to kind of corporatized and then you go to erotic boutique so in in broad terms that's the three basic i think the three basic types of and then online which yeah, is yeah i think kind of separate in a way yeah um so but we have we have a story we have a chain of stores here um Honey Burdett, who um, sell lingerie largely, and they do sell some adult toys, but they tend to have them, you know, at the back of the store and hidden behind the display, so they're in discreet locations. Um, and uh, part of the reason for that, was, I think, what we found in our research, certainly here, was that um, the erotic boutiques basically get around kind of plant essentially planning regulations here uh by not being sex shops or what we call restricted premises that's the official planning term for them because a restricted premises is seen as a um a loads of form of retail it's not considered to be um honest or real retail you know compared to a normal compared to a normal shop <laughs> Okay. Uh, and we can talk about normality in a bit because yeah. uh, I think it's perfectly normal for people to be pursuing um, and exploring their um, pleasure, basically. So, Absolutely. You know. Yeah. Well, let, let's go back to what you said there. There's, so there's three main categories of sex shops. So you said seedy and sleazy, the corporate chain store and the high end and bespoke. Now, talk me to the CD and sleazy. That's maybe what we might think of as, as blacked out windows, maybe a neon sign, no one making eye contact when they go in or out of the store, um, th that kind of thing. Would that be right for that one? Um, spot on. And, um, you know, in terms of um, their exterior design and their interior design is, you know, basic, let's say. Uh, it's a it's more a masculine space than it is anything else as well. Yeah. So it's it's a those type of stores cater to a largely male clientele uh, and normally staffed by uh, men uh, who work in it basically as well. And then that changes when you move through to the um, to the corporate type. Um, so uh, the corporate types will be. In, in general terms, basically, um, they'll cater to uh, men and women, but they also they've got a very kind of coupled clan, clientele kind yeah. of. It's, it's uh, a little bit more sanitized and and brighter. And is it kind of are we talking like Anne Summers that kind of thing here? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, it would be on summers, obviously, in somewhere like the UK uh, and Ireland. Um, here, here we have a kind of couple of different ones. Um, which, um, so honey, but well, honeybird that would be at the at the bespoke end. There's stores like um, in in Victoria and Melbourne, uh, Sexyland would be one example. I like the um, name Sexyland, like Disneyland uh, for adults. Yeah, at, here in Perth, um, it's adultshop.com um and then uh and they're a corporate so they they're they're a chain they have i don't know uh they probably have about 10 or so stores here and then it's independence there's a bunch of independents which um are gen the ones that i know and have been to are normally um female staff members in them and they cater for um uh couples uh but also very much uh for women mm. Um, there is one store here in Perth, which is um, very much geared towards uh, LGBT, LGBTQ community. That's a bit of a mouthful. Uh, and ma- mainly um, uh, gay men. Uh, there used to be a, a, a gay sauna uh, above this store. So it's kind of, again, those, those agglomeration effects. It's all in one. You know? yeah. And we have that the same. There's some shops in Dublin that might kind of fit the sleazy and and cd vibe but they will also have things like adult cinemas as part of them as well i think there's about three or so um in dublin city center so and they're used as like you know hookup spots or swinging spots or for for various different genders as well so um i suppose that that kind of goes along with that sleazy idea yeah there there was a store here back in about oh 2011 2012 and they had video booths uh, with glory holes in them, um, and uh, it was—I mean, it was an—it was an interesting store in lots of ways because it, um, it was a largely heterosexual male client customer base, uh, but they were engaging in um, you know homosexual acts in, in terms of the glory hole basically so it's a really kind of you know really interesting kind of nexus between heterosexuality and uh, homosexuality but you know practices going on so uh, it's no longer here though it's okay. it's it's yeah. since closed down and then on the, on the far end then you have the high end and bespoke and i suppose for that i'm thinking of something like maybe shush in london where they have you know thousand pound um dildos and vibrators and it's it's very much you know sex is not a shameful thing it's you know it, it's very i'm sure like the lighting is very bright again like you said like there might be female staff um are there any other characteristics there that would make that that kind of high-end approach yeah well just just sticking with uh in london so that's in hoxton square and i was actually there in 2015 and um so it's a um it's a very interesting story because it opened in I think 1992, 1995. I think it was 1992. Um, and they had a lot of issues opening. I know uh, back at the time they had a lot of issues opening up, but it's actually a female-only store. So um, I was going to meet the owner of it. And uh, so I had to, um, you know, essentially kind of get a, a sense of permission to come into the store, which I think is perfectly fine. Um, and then when I was in there, some uh, women came in to look stuff, and I, I you know, I, had to, I made myself scarce. Basically, I had to vacate the, um, uh, basically the building, but because they 
they also have a very kind of um they take a like a, a medical approach to dealing with um and i can never pronounce this term is it vaginismus or whatever it is oh, vaginismus vaginismus yeah. that's the word um so they actually work in collaboration with uh the nhs and help women who um have vaginismus, vaginismus okay there you yeah. go i gotta get that i gotta get that. <laughs> yeah. um it's so, a so they, sexual they, wellness kind of perspective yeah yeah, yeah. and um I, as well as then that kind of bespoke um and of kind of sex toys um they design they have their own designer brands of of toys as well and you know it's um and it is like it is actually like gone into a boutique of a store it's got two two levels um but that i suppose that works that works for a lot of women and again you know like you said some of those spaces you know, I've gone into some of the CD ones and I've gone, oh, this just isn't isn't for me. This isn't my market. And I just don't want to touch anything because I'm worried about the body fluids on it and stuff. But places like maybe like Amsterdam, that, that CD and sleazy aspect is part of the appeal because that's, you know, you're, that's why you're going to Amsterdam sometimes or, you're, you know, you're going for a bit of a, a sleazy weekend. And I'm not using sleazy there in any kind of derogatory term, but just that kind of fun um sex kind of weekend but do you think that then that that's where the draw is like do we have high-end bespoke boutiques in Amsterdam or is it dominated then by that that sleaze factor yeah I, I don't know about Amsterdam but I mean it's certainly I think there's um I mean the, the different types of stores I mean it, it is about catering for different markets I mean if you're a um you're an older man you know um uh then going into a masculine space is probably going to feel you're going to feel more at home so to speak basically you know rather than walking in and um going into i mean a high-end store basically where you know that it's very feminine and you might feel completely out of out of place um and i think i mean the, the city and sleazy seem to be dying off um and it's more it is i think the market now is dominated more by um corporates some boutique erotic boutiques high-end stuff and then of course online you know um the online is um really kind of where it's at um and i mean even amazon now sell bloody sex toys i know but sometimes you use sex toys so we don't like buying sex toys on amazon just in case because nobody wants to use sex toy arriving um in their door no oh, definitely no not. so where did no. the family-owned sex to sex shops come into it because I, there's a lot of you know there, there's companies here that are family-owned shout out to um good vibrations and barry who's been a friend of the podcast before um but a lot of the u.s branches are family-owned or even you know the companies that make sex dolls you know it, it's like the son is downstairs making them the mom's doing the the financial stuff the daughter's doing the marketing and it's that kind of family business and it's there's nothing salacious about it everyone's you know it's just the family business that's that's where yeah we go, well, so. doc, well doc johnson's a family business mm. so i mean doc johnson's one of the largest um sex toy makers and distributors uh in the u.s and it's it's a largely family owned well it, i think it's purely family owned business and they've been gone for 40 years or something like that basically so um i mean you, 
you do get lots of independent stores here in Australia, and certainly though coming back to Belfast, the ones in um, the ones in um, Gresham Street and Belfast are independent owned. However, I, I did hear that I think at one stage when there was about six of them, um, I think two or three of them were owned actually by the one guy, just trading under different um, you know different names. Because again, it's about it's about pitching towards different markets in a way. Um, I mean, we have a. I mean, to give an example of how this kind of parallels other businesses, um, where at the university where I'm at, when I where I go for a coffee, uh, the guys that own the cafe actually own two cafes beside one another. Okay, okay. so one's a bakery cafe, one's a bakery cafe, and the other one's more a kind of a lunch cafe. You know, you can go in and sit and have lunch and stuff like this, but. They owned the guy owned two places, and they were two doors away from one another. And you would think you know, that, that wouldn't so, work, but obviously there's something in it that that would get there. Yeah, different mark, just di different segmentations, yeah. and you know, and I think with uh, with adult retailing sex shops, it's the same thing basically. Um, and with independence, if you know, um, if straight people uh, are you know older men who. You, prefer to go to masculine spaces they'll have a store that they want to go to basically that they'll feel familiar with and similarly similarly i think with people from uh, lgbtq communities they'll have like a preferred store because they know they get good advice they get great service and there's a culture around that store because it is it's lgbt lgbt friendly basically so yeah, that makes sense. you know you'll yeah. You'll, you'll you'll give your business to the you know you'll support basically those that support you in some way yeah yeah and the online stuff i suppose is interesting now in 2020 where we've you know we've all been in lockdown of various types for most of the at the year we've, we've stayed in and most of us have passed a lot of time masturbating and having sex because what else is there to do apart from watching Netflix so I know um, Shauna Scott who owns sexshop.ie which is an amazing um, sex toy website here in Ireland um, she said business was booming and you know could barely keep up with orders because people were just gone might as well stay in a masturbate you know because of quarantine and things like that so Interesting well, it's not just it's not just about masturbation, of course. It's about other forms of, yeah, of um, sexual exploration and you know inquisitiveness and stuff like this. I mean, um, I think it would be great to kind of see the amount of pegging, for example, that has you know taken place over the course of COVID, for example. I would imagine you know. that's that's shut up. No pun intended in that. But yeah, people had the time to go. Let's try out what we wanted to try out for ages, or you know, let's get a new sex toy and, and bring it into our sexual activity. So, yeah, I would definitely I, I imagine that that's increased. I'm trying not to think of another pun there, but yeah. <laughs> well, you know, how many, how, how many puns can you get out of pegging? Oh, well, let's, let's, let's see. <laughs> let's not. see what we can do later yeah. on. <laughs> I will have an episode dedicated just to pegging coming up in the new year. So that's going to be yeah, um, an interesting one. Um, if I can just come back to your, um, you're saying there about the shops in Dublin. So there, um, I was there in 2015, 2014. Um, and is it, is it Court Street where there's a number of? Uh, um, Cable Street. Cable Street, sorry, mm. that's the one. Exactly. The there's about four, there's about four stores along there, basically. Yeah. yeah. When I was there in 2014. 
So, um, and then there was another one that I found, I can't remember the name of the street. It was, it was on the other side of the river uh, from Capel Street. And it was, um, oh God, they, they had a really fancy window dress, uh, window display with masks. And it was kind of. Oh, is it um, Miss Fantasia just off Grafton Street on the south um, side? So, well, Street. Um, it might have been that one. With little Took a little side yeah. street in a way. Little side street. It had like um like an Art Deco kind of window and shop front oh, and um, Basic Instinct in Temple Bar. That's yeah. the one. That's the one. That's yeah. the one. Yeah, they have a, a masquerade. Like it doesn't look like a sex shop at first. It looks like a fancy dress. No, store. no. And I thought it was a costume shop when I initially walked past it, and then um, I mean, it put me in mind obviously of. Uh, the cover of Fifty Shades, yeah. you know, it kind of had that kind of that kind of look about it. Um, but they were, um, I think I have it. I might have it in my office. I, I have a, I have a, a secret stash of cards and posters and things that I pick up along the way. And I, um, I think they had, they were, they had a card on their in their um, on their counter for. I think a swingers night or a, a masquerade ball happening somewhere up in the um in the mountains somewhere I think which is yeah where else are you gonna have it <laughs> yeah an interesting one <laughs> well I had a side out of mind you know yeah. and a dungeon in the mountains <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I tell you, you scratch the surface and and they exist out there, out there in the countryside so that's one thing but if we're talking again about um I suppose sex shops one of the I suppose more common topics around them is what are we going to do with them? Like, where are they going to go? So there was one that tried to open up um, in a place called Drumcondra in the north side of Dublin a couple of years ago. And it received huge opposition because it was whatever many metres away from a school. Um, and the people had chosen it because it was right on the road. So obviously you're going to get a lot of people driving past. But there's huge outrage. Um, you know, all the local residents got together and said, no, we're not having this. And they succeeded. So the shop didn't open. But some people would argue that sex shops should be zoned then. So they should be moved out maybe to, you know, like a industrial estate or some kind of, you know, away from the children kind of thing, away from the city centre. Um things like that and I, I've been in Austin Texas and they that's kind of what they had for a little bit like you have to drive out to these mega superstores and that are in the middle of nowhere and that you need the car to get to and it just feels very it doesn't feel like a very comfortable experience it feels very much like oh sex is this weird dirty thing and you have to yeah go to where the weird dirty people go to as opposed to pop in on your lunch break or your way home because it's part of the community and part of you know yeah. like you said earlier like that normal human experience of having a sex life yeah uh, look um i mean this is just i think this is unfortunately just part of the long running kind of stigma shame and embarrassment that um particularly in ireland you know northern ireland and southern ireland that kind of hangs around um, sex and sexuality. Um, and it's interesting when you talk about the um, the city and sleazy uh, stores with their blacked out windows. Now, it's often regulators planning and stuff actually makes those stores be blacked out in an effort not to draw attention to them. 
but of course what they ultimately what they do is they draw more attention to them um and i think this is why the corporate um adult stores and the uh erotic boutique stores have basically got away with not looking like sex shops even though they are sex shops is because um they have you know interesting and i don't like using this word but i'll use it just for the sake of simplicity they have normal shop fronts you know um and here um we have regulations around adult stores particularly uh, about window displays so you can have some regulations so that you, you don't put offensive um material whatever i mean and this is this is where, where we get into, I suppose, ideas of subjectivity um, about you know what is offensive to uh, you and I. The bar might be pretty high, but for many other people, it might be yeah. very low, and the slightest thing might prick their sensibilities. And no pun intended with that. Um, <laughs> But there's uh, one example of that in Dublin, where one had um, a clearly adult woman. Um, and she was in a, I think, maybe a schoolgirl's outfit or maybe some kind of adult version of that. It might, you know, it might have been like a blouse and a short skirt kind of thing. And there is uproar because this was, you know, um, vinyl wrapped all across the front of the store and it was next to public transport. But, at the and you know, we had politicians saying, oh, this is, you know, we can't have this. But at the same time, if you walked along Grafton Street, which is the main shopping street outside of Brown Thomas, they have a Mac store and they had, I think it was possibly Winnie Harlow or Nicki Minaj at the time advertising Mac lipstick. But, you know, they were lying on their back with their legs in the air and like, you know, like tie high PVC boots on and, and a corset and yeah. pants and, you know, and, and various images or maybe it was RuPaul, someone anyway, um, various images that some people might call very sexualized so that was okay because it was just selling lipstick but the other image wasn't okay because that was selling sex but kind of yeah. both of them are selling sex well yeah well both of them are and i think i know my take on it would be is that we let celebrity get away with this basically so it's, it might be the celebrity factor in this so we we expect I mean, particularly if it's somebody like Nicki Minaj, who's who does have a very um, sexualized um, persona, you know, um, her um, her character, you know, as a performer, yeah, um, yeah. is is very sexualized, and um, whereas non-celebrities are ordinary, you know, ordinary people, you know, normal people. Uh, sex in that space is, you know, you're stepping outside of your lane, basically, in some senses. Um, and um, so it's a, yeah, I mean, again, it's down to where, where's your where's your threshold for, um, for offence? I mean, I could, I mean, if I was a vegan and I'm on the bus and I pass a butcher shop, I could be easily offended by seeing racks of lamb and, um, you know, other cuts of meat hanging up in the window. Um, if, you know, uh, I could be offended by, you know, if I was an ardent, you know, uh, radical atheist, I might get offended by dra driving past a Catholic church. You know, if I'm on a bus or in my car, I, I could be highly offended by that. But, you know, what are you going to do? 
Yeah. You know, it's different factor in, factors of society. You know, we all have to figure out how to live together. And sex is a part of society. Yeah. You know, that's. Yeah. You know, you see men topless on the beach as soon as it gets the 12 degrees and somewhere like Belfast, you know, and somewhere rising. A, you know, <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> We're optimistic now for a little bit of sunshine. But yeah but some of your other work then to move on a little bit from sex shops although we're still in the same vein you also look at the concept of porn tourism so what's that when that's at home so this is um this is some work i've been doing with two other or three other um sexademic colleagues what you know um i use the term sexademic to describe those of us who do work uh, do academic uh, research on various aspects of kind of sex, sexuality, and sex industry. Um, so that's Barb Brents, who's at the University of La Nevada, Las Vegas. Um, Crystal Jackson, who's at John Day College in New York, but is from Vegas and uh, did her PhD at UNLV. And Alita Baldwin, who's done in Texas. And um, Barb and Crystal had done this some work looking at kind of um, porn tourism back in 2009. And I've got I've got to meet them at conferences mm -hmm. through work on sex work. And I, you know, I said, and we should do that, you know, but do you want to do this again? It'd be really interesting to kind of do this stuff again. So we did it again. And we're really interested in both the, the kind of the geographies and the sociologies around um, porn spaces and in particular uh, what we looked at was uh, the AVN Expo uh, in Vegas, which runs every January, which you have been to. Um, and we wanted to, well, we were interested in it kind of really, what happens within that space? Who goes to that space? What are the dynamics like between performers and fans and attendees? Um, so, and what does, I suppose what is kind of you know how does porn porn expos and uh, and this would say I think this would easily well it does extend out to things like porn film festivals as a, as forms of sex tourism basically um, where fans are going to consume you know a sexualized space uh, where they get to meet and greet their favorite performers and stuff like this so we were interested in on in unpacking those things um that's fascinating you know, a little bit more they're weird little micro bubbles of of society and it's like the vegas one is so it's so overwhelming for every sense you know because it's so loud there's like something like eighty thousand people over a week you know it's, and your senses are constantly stimulated so there's like pictures of sex on screen there's sex deals being done you know everyone's there for some sort of sex and it's just like it's a lot you know it's like sex is spoken very loudly at those conferences and normally sex is something for most people where it's a very private activity or it's attached to shame or stigma or people feel they can't discuss this kind of thing in private or in, in public whereas at a porn conference there's no such thing as shame and stigma it, like everything is literally out in the open and it's it's a it, i suppose it's an experience most people don't get to have because because we keep things very private yeah i mean it's um you know, in some senses, it's a bit like things like Comic Con, for example, where you know fans go to meet and fans dress up, 
like their favorite characters from whatever, you know, Star Wars or Buffy or whatever they're into, basically, Star Trek. And you go and meet the the actors who are in those shows, basically. So so it does sit around this, um, you know, this thing of fandom uh, in a big way, which I'm not a part of. I'm, I, I'm not a, you know, uh, when I was when I was younger, when I was a teenager in high school in Belfast, I mean, I was a massive fan of Prince, but, um, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't do the fandom stuff. I, you know, I don't, I don't go kind of, um, that far, but looking at the AVN as, as, as a space for, of fandomness, it's, it's pretty amazing. And, and like you say, I think when you go into it for the, certainly for the first time, cause I've been, I think I've been four times now to it. Um, I mean, it is certainly the first time it's it's overwhelming. It's it's loud, loud in terms of noise. It's loud in terms of, I suppose, the visuality of what you see. Is that a word? Is visuality a word? Uh, we'll take it um, for now. <laughs> it is not. It is yeah. not. <laughs> um, you know, um, because you will, um, you get to see um you know all these performers mainly female of course uh but male performers are there as well um and they're at booths they're signing they're talking they're interacting with fans and it is um you know and it runs you know in some senses it runs the it it's it's got a similar kind of um spectrum as the adult shops in terms of the booths you go to so there's kind of basic booths and then you go to luxury booths, you know, uh, where a, a booth will be basically decked out like a um, a nightclub, you know, or a or a lounge, and the performers are up there, and people get up to interact with them. You can have a you know a drink with them and stuff like this. So you get a kind of uh, you know um, different forms of intimacy. Uh, in terms of your interactions uh, with fans uh, or fans with their their favorite performers and stuff like I this, so that, it's that know. one part interesting of looking at the Greg Lansky approach. So for those who don't know, Greg Lansky is I suppose he's kind of changed how a lot of porn is done at the moment. It's very high spec. You know, it's people having sex on yachts and helicopters and in Paris, and it's very much this kind of um, what's the word? Uh, ambitious lifestyle kind of stuff do you know it's all the girls are all wearing like Louis Vuitton luxury porn luxury, luxury porn, porn I would call it yeah, yeah very porn. much like there's it's not meant to be sleazy or anything like that it's meant to be this you know um luxury lifestyle stuff but their booth at the AVNs like you said it's a totally decked out it, it looks like a, a fancy nightclub and their social media around it is absolutely fascinating so they have constant stories on Instagram of all the girls getting ready and they're all decked out in like matching designer um bathrobes and you know then then they're walking down the halls and they're showing off the Louis Vuitton shoes as they go and it, it's this huge spectacle I suppose of like you know the week before and build up on social media when they're there it's you know there's a new story going up every few seconds and then obviously you know the experience with the fans who queue up for absolutely ages because that's the one booth everyone wants to go to because that's where the most popular performers are because they're dominating the porn industry at the moment so it's mad to see that level of celebrity you know being there but these are celebrities that are very accessible to the fans it's not like Beyonce we're never going to yeah. get to meet Beyonce but you might get to meet your favorite porn performer 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's it's unbelievable. The um, you know, like I said, the kind of the proximity and um, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? The um, the degree of interaction you can have with with performers and we we um we kind of touch upon this in one of our papers where we were looking at the idea of consent and how performers kind of no negotiate consent when they're dealing with fans and how consent is managed and controlled and stuff like this um when i was there i was there um this year at the avn um we had a panel and i was in the main hall at once at one stage and uh adriana chechik uh was on i can't remember which booth it was on but i mean she was in full interactive hands-on mode or if you say her fans were on full hands-on mode with her um on, on the booth but she was completely in control of what was going on basically um and so that was really interesting to kind of um observe basically um and then you'd see somebody like um you know uh angela white uh you know who's one of the biggest stars you know abn record holder uh australian go australia you know um who's you know you're sitting there but i mean the lines to go and see her basically and how down to earth she is I think with her fans and stuff like this, basically, you know, um, and you wouldn't get this in any other area of kind of entertainment, that proximity. No, no absolutely you know, not. Um, and then or to even touch your your favorite celebrity or something like you might put your arm around them for a photo, but you're not getting in any kind of intimate picture. Like one of the pictures I took at the AVNs is someone who is they're crouching down. So their head is level with the performer's ass and their face is like, oh, my gosh. And I'm sure that photo is like framed on their wall somewhere when they get home afterwards. But you're not going to get yeah. that with, with a pop singer or, you know, someone on TV. No, I mean, look, I mean, this is where, um, you know, fantasy comes almost to life in a sense in that so you might be you know you might watch and masturbate to your favorite porn performer on a magazine on a dvd or on a streaming service and then they get to see them in in the flesh literally sometimes uh, although actually you're not full nudity is not allowed and uh, on the avn so um but i think you know for what well, we call them porn super fans. So these are people who go to uh, things like the ABN on a regular basis and you know who are really into their into their porn. I mean, for them, that's you know fantasy coming to life, basically into into, into reality in lots of ways. So, and um, I mean, there's other stuff. I think that I mean, there's other interesting stuff that goes on at the ABN. So, um, so the panels and the seminars, which fans don't get to go to because they're industry events. And, you know, that's, I think, you know, uh, where other interesting stuff, we, you know, you learn about how, what's going on in the porn industry, progress, uh, you know, developments in technology and financing and, you know, uh, things to do with trans issues and people of color in porn and stuff like this. And I think that's, you know, for me, you know, as an academic, sex academic, those are the things that, um, you know, uh, pique my curiosity quite a lot. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I found that um, 
the porn film festival offered a very different approach so i went to the one in berlin a couple of times which i highly recommend anyone to go to because it's a lot of fun and it's a lot of content that you wouldn't think of as porn it's very different to like american mainstream porn there's a lot of queer porn feminist porn esco porn stuff that you wouldn't maybe think was porn at all fetish all these kind of things but it's like you're just hanging in this little small cinema space with um with amazing carrot cake and little glasses of wine and you get to chat to performers and directors and just fellow fans but there's it's it's a it's a lot of a hammer experience than the avns which are very vegas very american you know whereas it's very brash i suppose and in your face a bit more whereas maybe the european approach is a bit more arty and you know um sophisticated yeah but it's, it's just not as i suppose in your face as much even though it is because it's a porn film festival and literally there will be gentles in your face on screen but it's, it's yeah, just a yeah. camera but it, approach it, it, yeah well it, yeah because it's um well i mean although there are two porn spaces they're very different porn spaces of course so um uh porn film festivals i think are very much you know, geared towards people in the industry. And it is about, you know, it's about being a film critic or a film buff, you know, or, you know, or an aspiring film auteur in some way, people, you know, you know, so there's a, you know, there's a serious, there's a seriousness to it, a, a philosophical, even a scholarly kind of dimension to it in some senses. Um, and, but a, a porn expo is for the public, you know, uh, for anybody to go to. And it's, again, it's, there, there is, a, there is, I mean, there's a masculinity that goes with um, the AVN and other porn expos. Um, uh, but that's not to say, of course, that there are not lots of women at the AVN. And the four times that I've been there, I've seen an increasing number of um, women there. I see queer. I see queer women, I you know, uh, in attendance. I see couples, um, and there's a, there's a few people that I've seen. Um, every time I've been there, I've seen them again. The next time that I've been there, there's one couple in particular that I've seen, um, an African American guy who's in a wheelchair, and I don't know if it's if it's his partner or his carer or whatever. Uh, but this woman who pushes them around on the on the chair, and they've been there for the four times I've been there. How dedicated! You know, so, yeah, yeah, and they're just you just kind of see something, you kind of go, oh wow, I, I saw you the last time when I was here. Yeah, <laughs> no, not that I go, not that I go up and not that I go up and say that to them, of course, but <laughs> yeah. it's just I'm logging it in my head and kind of go, oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I and, thought it was fascinating but, was the the business side of things because again you're seeing like open deals you know kind of going on or like you know um people making arrangements to shoot some content and stuff together but when I was sitting I, I was in the poor seats like right up the back and I, so I was watching the the award show happening and I was listening oh, right, okay. to a group of businessmen who were a couple of rows ahead of me and it was very much they'd taken their clients out to to the show as you know as some businessmen are want to do but it was interesting listening to them and they all had their favorites which was Riley Reed at the time and and they were clapping along and they were like oh I hope Riley really wins this scene she was really good and did you see it and they were actually like really respectful and um 
I that was on me that I was expecting them to be a bit sleazier, but they are really kind of like cheerleaders for Riley. And they were like, oh, did you buy this film? Did you, you know, oh, she was amazing in that, you know, and really like supportive of her. And I was, you know, surprised by how nice they were. Yeah, look, it's, um, look, I mean, with any convention or expo that happens in any town, any city around the world, but, you know, clearly Vegas, because it's like Expo Central, um, you know, pe- people are there to um, schmooze, people are there to, to, to cut deals, you know, um, and with the porn industry, I mean, people are there um, to meet and greet with fans, uh, do deals, make porn, you know, um, get a bit of, um, I mean, it, it's worked with a little bit of vacation thrown in as well because you get out of, um, you know, L.A., um, although it's hard work. I mean, they might mm, have to say the, um, oh, Jesus, I mean, you know, talking constantly to people and hugging them, kissing them, you know, um, just, I mean, it's a, I mean, you know and I know what it's like giving a lecture and stuff and, and being in a seminar and shoot and talking with students and you come out of a one hour lecture or two hour shoot or something and you're like ready to fall over yeah, and yeah. these performers are they're, they're at it all day and then they're running around doing other things you know the bigger stars and it are running around doing other things in between you know because they'll, they'll have set times when they're on on the bigger booths but they're doing other things you know they're doing media they're they're shooting content for um, for their social media stuff and things like this as well. So, I mean, it's, you know, there's a lot of labor in different ways taking place at these things. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Do you think, you know, I've been, I've been to a couple of ones in the UK as well called Exhibition, but that was kind of more not porn as such, but lots of sex retailers, you know, maybe would have been there, yeah. but they did have porn stars as well. Do you think we'll get to a point where we'll have one in Ireland, north or south? <laughs> That's my answer and in a nutshell. <laughs> well, no, look, it's like this here. So, um, no, I, I think um, I'm going to talk about the Republic of Ireland here because um, you guys are in in front of the eight ball on a number of matters compared to Northern Ireland. Um, I mean, I think in general, though, Ireland, North and South has kind of changed quite a bit since I was a teenager. You know, um, the the dominance of the Catholic Church in society has um, increasingly been pushed to the side. Um, I mean, I remember when condom machines were introduced in bars, for example, mm-hmm. in Northern Ireland and in the Republic of Ireland, you know, um, and the uproar that that caused at the time. And it's like, well, we're all still here. You know, it's the world didn't, the world, the sky didn't fall in on our heads. Um, uh, you guys did same sex marriage, you know, um, and stuff like this. So, you know, I think there, those are signs of, of optimism for me in a sense, but it's, it's just a matter of, of kind of like when, you know, um, it's just going to take a bit of time, I think, you know. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, sex exhibition. We have we have some similar here, Sexpo, um, which is largely around adult retailing based and sex toys, and um, they have seminars on 
all various issues of sex and sexuality. Uh, but porn performers, um, you know, Australian porn performers as well as international ones, they normally fly in three or four, you know, in, uh, international porn performers to um, add, you know, cachet and allure yeah. to the, you know, uh, to, the sh to the whole show. So, I mean, Lisa Ann was there a few years ago. Um, I'm trying to think who else has been there. Uh, Joanna Angel uh, came down the year before last, I think. Um, uh, Angela White's been at it, I think, uh, a while ago. And uh, Zara Stardust, who's an Australian academic uh, porn performer, um, has taken part in it uh, in the past as well. So you know yeah, it's an interesting um, event. someday someday you maybe maybe you can maybe you could hold a virtual one you and um sexshopper.ie should hold yeah. a virtual one you never you know, know. There, there's um, plans afoot for 2021 so you never know <laughs> you know just gotta you just gotta find a, pro, a, a progressive um council um or a progressive landlord who'll let you hire out the space basically yeah it'd be interesting dealing with the the protesters and um the the religious pray-ins that we had because like you said yeah there were pray-ins up in belfast when the shops opened but they that happened down in ireland as well it was limerick i think was when the first shops opened and they had pray-ins outside and i know um barry who runs some of the good vibrations he said people have come in before and chatted about religion and things like that so it's an interesting Wait, yeah, but, yeah. It's funny at at the AVN um two years ago. Yeah, two years ago when we were actually doing the research and we were collecting the data, um, we ran into or to be more exact, Barb ran into um uh two anti-porn people who were actually inside the main halls of the AVN. So I thought that was interesting um that they kind of you know expose themselves uh to porn despite having this kind of um anti-porn uh position and there was an anti-porn organization in town that weekend holding a its own seminar and i think they were allied uh to that organization basically um which got me thinking if if that was indeed the case and that organization you know, asked or invited or told or instructed, whatever it was, those people that go there, then that's a bit, to me, that was a bit curious in a way, because if you're an anti-porn organization, you're putting, you know, surely you're putting people in harm's way if you have such virulent um, anti-porn attitudes, you know, um, so why would you be doing, why would you be doing that, you know? Um, the joy of hypocrisy. <laughs> well yeah <laughs> or whatever know. else is going on for that person but yeah, yeah i had yeah. an anti-porn protester come up to me as i was watching the red carpet of the stars going in and he said oh do you condemn this and i said no and he's like oh you're disgusting and just stormed off then i was like okay if that's as bad as it gets i'm okay but you know you're kind of going dude you're here like you're at the the thing and so maybe your 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 hatred is not quite hatred it's something else that's going on but that's that's a whole other podcast <laughs> we'll come yeah, back to yeah, that one yeah, indeed, in indeed. another one but yeah the joy of, of um 
saviors, I suppose. But um, Paul, this has been absolutely fascinating. And again, we'll have to come back to you again, maybe when we do have a porn festival in Ireland sometimes. Yeah. We'll see, maybe a few years down the line. But um, yeah, uh, where can people find you if they want to stay in touch and check out your work? Uh, uh, you can find me on Twitter um, at planographer. Uh, P-L-A-N-O-G-R-A-P-H-E-R. Uh, that's probably the best place to, to find me on. I'm kind of normally um, on there tweeting uh, about my research, which which doesn't, which I should I should you know um, uh, say that it's not just about sex. You know, I'm not. Um, I have a you know uh, a range of interests. Although they all do begin with S. You know, it's I often say to people it's. Um, it's strategic planning, suburbia, and sex, but I can blend all three of them so that it's always about sex in some way. That's the kind of people we like on this podcast, so that works out very well. So, um, yeah, thanks, Amel, for, for your knowledge. It's just great to, to, I suppose, take a deep dive into sex shops, which is something that maybe we don't think about enough. So, no, it's been fascinating. Um, and thank you to all my listeners as well for tuning in. As always, you can reach out on social media. It's Twitter and Instagram is at Glow West Podcast. And again, at, at the start of the show, I mentioned the Patreon. If you feel like supporting us, that'd be great. It's patreon.com forward slash Twitter Shack. And I will chat to you next week. <laughs>